How am I doing? Not bad. Scared? No. No. No, you're not scared of anything. <laughs> not too much. This fog gets me. Get your hair in your eyes. Oh. What does the speedometer say? 65. I want to make it 80 and wipe that grin off your face. I don't like gentlemen who grin at me. Welcome to Generation Lost, the show about movies uh, with me and Jeremy. What's going on? How are you doing today? It's Generation Lost. It's the show. <laughs> We're here. <laughs> and today we have a guest, uh, Timothy Wright uh, of, you know, Marble Hornets and all of that stuff. How are you doing, Tim? Hi. I'm doing well. Um, that's uh, first. That's actually... Tim Wright is my character's name. Oh yeah, in the oh. show. but that's oh, yeah. okay. I forgot. That's okay because if you if you if you Google either one, it's there's bound to be a lot of o- overlap. It's still yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know there is a director, uh, Tim Sutton, who I just saw a preview for something yesterday. I was literally looking for a movie to watch yesterday, and been- it was like directed by Tim Sutton. I was like, "You're fucking kidding me! Are you?" <laughs> <What>? <laughs> <laughs> I was literally we, about to just throw it on to be like, oh, we'll just talk about that tomorrow. <laughs> we've been on like a like a silent SEO war for years because oh, like yeah. if you were to Google the name Tim Sutton, the first results would be like, I think either my Twitter or my Tumblr account or something most Uh-oh. of the time. But then sometime uh, like a couple of years ago, it, if you searched my name, that would still happen. But then above that, you would get like the official bar that would be like Tim Sutton director and then the right. indie movie guy above that. And it's like one of these has been paid for and one of them hasn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd be willing to I'd stake my claim on it. <laughs> Interestingly enough, I also have been on a silent SEO war that I've profoundly lost over the past like uh half a decade or so there's another Uh jeremy hammond there is yeah political prisoner jeremy hammond oh uh, no famous (laughs) famous anonymous hacktivist uh jeremy hammond just Uh, say you're him i've always wanted to how is he gonna come out and prove it like the only thing you can say is like no that's not me okay then prove it who are you then prove it uh uh-oh call people you know go online then why don't you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, it it is. Uh, I don't know if it's hindered my career any uh, over the years, but at the very least, nobody's ever been able to Google me. And wow, uh, any jo- any job I've ever had, they they try to like do any background check or whatever. 
uh, at least once a year, somebody will text me and be like, yo, I just saw an article. Are you going to fucking jail? (laughs) (laughs) But it seems like something you would do. Yeah, that's the best part, is that it absolutely (laughs) is something that's believably, uh, that's why I get a text every year. Yeah. My job, te- my job told me that they were doing like a, a social media background checks. And mm. so I guess everything's fine. Uh, if it's good enough for them, it should be good enough for any other future, uh, you know, anyone who's interested. Dude, but how uh, funny hopefully. would that be if like they were doing the background check on you and then they're like the, the, your first day in the job, they're just like, so listen, was it always you in the in the masky outfit? Like, what's the... <laughs> So what's your favorite you fan art? with me, man. Like. So what's your favorite fan art? I got some for you, actually. I brought it along right here in my briefcase. <laughs> it's a drawing of you, and you're making out with Slendy. Yay! <laughs> I've seen this one. You drew this in, like, 2011, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. This You posted this on Something Awful. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Uh, yeah, so, uh, well, as we said on this show, we often ask, what have you been watching this week? Uh, Jeremy, what have you been watching this week? Wow, thank you for asking, Bryn. You're welcome. Uh, I've actually, I've watched two things this week that I'd like to talk briefly about. Uh, the first of which is Godzilla versus Kong. Oof. Bryn, did you watch it? <laughs> I didn't watch it. You said I, you were going to watch it, you didn't I, watch it. <laughs> I, I didn't watch it because I... Uh, didn't watch, I, I I was like, got a little overwhelmed with uh, all of the, um, the back watching I would have uh, had to done. I was like, those oh. monsters oh, are just yeah. too darn big. They're <laughs> yeah. too big. I think we can all agree. So uh, my oh, so plan, it's the, it's the plot you're saying is overwhelming. There's too many yeah. threads to follow. <laughs> because I had seen the original go, uh, reboot Godzilla with Brian Cranston and then I was going to watch the Millie Bobby Brown one and mm-hmm. Kong Skull Island, which I really wanted to watch because I wanted to see them all. But then it got sort of bad reviews and people were saying it's not very fun. And I was like, which one? Godzilla I, versus Kong? The, the new one. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I kind of lost the steam and like because the trailer looked good. What did you think about it? Well, yeah. So let me just go ahead and uh, um, support what everybody has been saying not very fun for a movie that is about godzilla and king kong fighting each other it is not very fun they do it three times throughout the movie and then the rest of it is just absolute bullshit that (laughs) nobody could possibly even begin to care about i don't know like what they were thinking with like just leave millie bobby brown out of the movie her whole subplot is completely so throughout the whole movie this is a two-hour movie mind you the whole time we keep checking in on Millie Bobby Brown and she's there with uh paper boy from Atlanta and, hey. um, and, uh, bell snickel from Christmas Chronicles, what? <laughs> the little, uh, the, new, the little Kiwi kid. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. And it's the three of them and they're on a little subplot adventure where, uh, Paperboy is a podcaster who is like trying to uncover the truth about Godzilla or whatever, and uh, they sorry. break into the secret Raytheon place and and they find Mecha Godzilla, and that's their whole oh. story. Nothing else. Nothing you said they sounds don't impact anything other than terrific to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's it ticks all the boxes. I don't know what more you want. Yeah, what could I, you want? It literally the whole thing, like the fights are fun. I'll admit that they they have fun with the fights. I like that Kong is basically just a dude. Like they like to to <laughs> kind of like because you know everybody has said rightfully this whole week like Godzilla is a nuclear lizard. Like of course right. he's going to win. How could he uh, not? 
to to stack up against that, they were like, well, let's just make Kong a person, so he can basically uh-huh. like think and move like a person. He's not really bound by gorilla law at all. Uh, he like wields an <laughs> axe. He knows how the axe works. He knows how to like make the magic and the axe happen. Like, right. there, there's a lot you got to you know take on with Kong there. Uh, but basically, yeah, the the whole subplot is worthless. It brings out Mechagodzilla, and that's all they're there for. Uh, the other human characters are a couple who I believe have broken up in one of the previous movies, and now they have some like weird, like seething passive aggressive war that they're waging on each other. That somehow, in, like Kong is just like caught in the middle of. Who cares? <laughs> he's like we've been he's, waiting so long for a Kong love triangle. Yeah, it's yeah. about time. <laughs> no, but that's the thing is he's not. He's more like the kid in the divorce. It feels like. <laughs> Where like he's just like I okay. just want to be Kong. Stop making it's me a, do this. It's a my wife's boyfriend kind of situation. Is yes, what you're saying? Yes, yes, okay. yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah. Otherwise, the people are just very boring. The fights are fun. Interestingly, the the aesthetic of the movie is gaming PC. That's what everything in this movie looks like. <laughs> everything like is like LEDs rainbow LEDs. The only <laughs> like, RAM cards you can buy at Best Buy. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like had to like buy when they flip the lights off. I had to do so many tricks to get my stupid computer to stop doing rainbow lights. <laughs> <laughs> my kid sleeps in this room. <laughs> Why did you put rainbow lights on your computer? They're, they're it's like Tim said. That's all they put on RAM now. Every piece of RAM that you can buy at the store has rainbow lights on it. Got put. You have to have a, a PC and then your PC blanket to yeah. cover those up. Your, your PC sheet. Yeah, yeah. like a, like you put on a horse at night. <laughs> yeah, just blinders. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so then that the, sounds uh, like it was like basically what I was expecting, which was. Because I thought it was completely separate from the Brian Cranston Godzilla, which mm. was dog shit because it's like a terrible story with terrible acting through for like two hours and then 10 minutes of Godzilla like jumping in on the river. And I was like, what right. is this movie? Who cares about this? But and then I thought Kong Island was like a totally separate thing. So I thought it was going to be like a fun version of that. But I guess not. No, unfortunately not. Uh, and then the other thing that I watched uh, very briefly was uh, last night, threw on old Mrs. Doubtfire. Hadn't seen that <laughs> in Mrs. a long Doubtfire. ass time. Okay. Mrs. Doubtfire, of course, the seminal uh, Robin Williams piece uh, where he plays a uh, husband going through a divorce with his wife, Sally Field. And uh, in order to spend more time with his children, he dresses up as an old lady and pretends to be uh, their housekeeper. And uh, that's basically the plot of the movie. And let me just go ahead and say, if you have not seen Mrs. Doubtfire in a long time, um, interesting thing about it, they don't explain how he comes up with that idea at all. He (laughs) just does it. (laughs) It's completely unspoken. He just is like, oh, of course, they need a housekeeper. I'll be a little old lady. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't like see it on TV or like (laughs) see a wig somewhere and be like, oh, I wonder if that would work. He just does it. He already had the outfit laying around. He was like, you know what? It's time to finally put this through its paces. (laughs) Yeah, I just remember he's like, he's a voice actor in that movie. Mm -hmm. And I guess because of that, he's like a master of disguise. So he goes to his Mm -hmm. friend who, or his like It's his brother, it's his gay brother, uh, who's played by Harry Firestein, who is criminally underused in this and literally every movie he's in. That's correct. And, um... Yeah, it's his brother is like a makeup artist in in um, Hollywood, San Francisco. (laughs) (laughs) 
so he's a he's a voice actor. Uh, he's a voice actor in Hollywood with a makeup artist brother, and he's divorced. Like, if this was made now, like he would have to also be a podcaster. So that would That's have right. a, its all subplot yes. going on. <laughs> but he has no opinions. He has no other anything to do in this movie except try and get his spend time with his children as a yeah. woman. Well, his one opinion uh, is about children's programming. And it's it comes up at the beginning and the end. Oh, yeah. Where at the beginning he's he loses his job as the first thing that happens in the movie as a voice actor because he's mad that the parrot that he's playing smokes a cigarette in in like the <laughs> yeah. in the most hilarious way too. It's like you see the the parrot smoking and he's like so happy he's smoking a cigarette. <laughs> oh yeah, I love it. <laughs> which is a perfect glimpse. Which is a perfect time capsule. What was it like ninety three or something, yeah, something like, like that? that like when that was public issue number one or something. And, right. You know now as if as if that would be like the issue that an adult would get mad about now <laughs> enough to right. risk their job is just very. Of its time, I think. Yeah, a parrot, like, hitting a jewel would be very funny. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mmm, <laughs> mango. <laughs> oh, no, this pineapple flavor is disgusting. What did I say to you? <laughs> Can you just read the lines, Mrs. Doubtfire? Yeah. <laughs> so does the movie hold up, or does it feel like a kid's movie? No, it doesn't feel like a kid's movie. It's it's very fun. Um it's still enjoyable because he's, you know, the most dynamic performer possibly ever to, to be in a comedy movie. So he definitely holds it pretty well still. I just was really struck by how little they explain anything, how little <laughs> they, like, guide you through any of these moments. The scene where, um, you know, the the son catches uh, Robin Williams pissing uh, and then he realizes Mrs. Doubtfire is actually a man, baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that scene, again he instantly is just like, hey, it's me, it's your dad. And they're like, oh, dad, what? (laughs) They're not like freaked out by that. They're not like, they're not traumatized or anything. Nobody, nobody but the wife really is ever (laughs) mad about it. Well, she seems, she's like, thinks it's gross and like sick, right? She's like, no, she's like, I mean, at the, she has the most reasonable, like, role in this entire movie where she's just like, you brought farm animals into our house. You made a huge mess. I'm mad at you. Uh, I want a divorce. And he's like, oh, come on, let me dress up like an old lady. And then she's like, you have invaded my home for months. You've been (laughs) talking to me and like gaining intel and shit. (laughs) I want a restraining order. Yeah, but again, the movie treats her as kind of being the unreasonable Yeah. I I think I was mixing it up with uh, the Santa Claus, where she's like... Mm. She's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Stooping mm-hmm. to this level of like dressing up like Santa. Yeah. It's yeah. like that standard, the, the standard plot that every cop movie has to have where the wife has to be like, it's either me or that damn badge, except in this case, it's Santa Claus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It's either, you're, you have to choose between me or your goddamn sleigh bells. <laughs> yeah. You gotta choose between me or those big fat fake titties. <laughs> You love those fucking reindeer more than me. <laughs> don't say that about Donner. Uh, <laughs> all right. Yeah, you don't know Blitzen like I do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what did you watch this week, Tim? Um, I have been largely alternating between uh, uh, season one of The Sopranos, first time oh, watch. Hell yes. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, so recently... Very, we uh we put a 
a Patreon level on our on our Patreon that if we reach a certain level of patrons, I will be forced to watch The Sopranos for the first time um, because I don't want to. And uh, <laughs> seems like everybody wants me to. So if the if they subscribe on patreon.com slash generation loss, I will also be watching the first season of The Sopranos. But how are you enjoying it? <laughs> yes, yeah, so this is your first time you said Yes, uh, I we'd watched the first episode a long time ago, but then just kind of never got around to continuing it, which mm-hmm. is like what I'm mostly what I do when it comes to TV shows. But we decided to give it another shot this week, and uh, yeah, it just kind of hooks you right off the bat. It's uh, it's the show with everything, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's much funnier than you expect it to be, right? You kind of come into it thinking it's going to be this kind of like macho action-y sort of like crime drama show. And the humor that is in there is a lot more fucking out there than I would have expected to a lot of the time. Uh, But uh, speaking of out there humor, the other thing that we've been alternating between is we've been going back and watching uh, Rugrats. Dude, Like the original run. (laughs) That show is unbelievable. I cannot... (laughs) Like, it's... I'm so used to seeing, you know, it's it's kind of like a tired thing observation by this point, but just sort of like it, any cartoon show that comes up now just kind of like looks the same and it's mm-hmm. all kind of like right. smoothed over. And this one, it's just got these, just these demonic freak people drawn in these yes. bizarre <laughs> dimensions. Like the very first episode, everyone's all lumpy and like nothing is symmetrical anywhere. And, uh, you know, they go out of their way to do the weird perspective tricks from the baby's perspective where these these the 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 living room is just like this monstrous, you know, right. entrance hall or right. something. Yeah. Um, but the thing that I that really stands out to me now watching it is um, I've been a huge Devo fan for like my entire adult life, basically. Mm-hmm. But uh I it had been a I hadn't watched any Rugrats in years because and Mark Mothersbaugh does that was like one of his earliest like big yeah jobs I think it might have com- been his first first big thing right I think his very first one was um, Pee Wee's Playhouse oh, okay and yeah. then oh. this one was after that um, but I didn't really realize until now like how integral the music is to like mm-hmm. the flow of the show like it is part of the jokes like it's part of the soundtrack yeah there's a lot of Bop, bop, like kind of weird reaction. Yeah, it's very, it's very like played along with the video to a very specific degree. Yeah, I feel like I remember seeing when I was a kid, like a little short like featurette in like a commercial break, maybe where they were showing the scoring of an episode happening alongside the foley. Like they were doing both at the same time. And you see, like, Mark and then, like, some lady with, like, a bunch of, like, garden hoses and stuff, like, shaking it into a mic as he's, like, playing some weird keyboard shit. Yeah, I think they were, it was something where they were all, like, a lot more integrated than they usually are on shows like that. Like, I think one of the showrunners was, like, a big fan of one of his, like, solo releases that he'd only put out on cassette tape or something. (laughs) So, like, they were all kind of weirdos in there. But uh, I think Chucky was even like his character design is kind of modeled off Mark Mothersbaugh to a degree. Oh, oh interesting, because of those glasses, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did a lot. I forgot. Like, it's like Arlene Klasky is the woman who like made that show, 
and like yeah. she, she did a yeah. lot of crazy shit. Uh, she did like Ah Real Monsters and mm-hmm. Duckman yeah, and, and shit. It was Very as weird. told by Ginger. I think they all oh. they all had an and they evolution all look so of wacky. That, that, yeah, they all had an evolution of that weird looking character art. Mm-hmm. And as told by Ginger is interesting too because it's so distinctly a show about like preteen and teen girls trying to like perform like hotness at times and femininity and whatever and and yeah and you're using the Rugrats style to be like yeah they all have bulbous heads (laughs) like they look (laughs) like they already tried after they already tried Rugrats grown up and it was uh really bad I never saw that one it It was a show right it was like a whole Uh, show not because like a season of a show I felt like there was a special and then I think I saw that, and then there was like a season of a show that I never watched. Yeah. They always try to do something like that with those old Nicktoons where they would try to like boost it a little forward and try to hit a new demo or something like that. They did that with Doug, you remember, when it moved to ABC. When it moved to Disney, yeah. yeah. I, and then they did a movie. Yeah, and none of that, I feel like none of that stuck. Did anybody actually watch the Disney Doug? I, don't, I did. I but don't think so. I, <laughs> I watched all of it, but uh, um, I was, for whatever reason... <laughs> I liked that show a lot, but it was noticeably worse. Like right. sometimes you had like kid. sometimes you had like Disney Channel kids or Nickelodeon kids, depending on like who the cable provider was in That's right. town. Yeah. So I just happened to be a Nickelodeon kid because we didn't even get Disney Channel until we'd already hit like the the teen sitcom era. So I was already. Right. I was already out of it by then, I think. Yeah, it does feel sometimes like watching like a Rick and Morty interdimensional cable when people like show you Disney Channel stuff and you're like, I don't know what this is. What are you that. talking yeah. about? It has all the same look and aesthetic, except that it's I have no memory of this at all. Yeah, it's just wrong. <laughs> Something feels off about it. I was like a really my like weird esoteric snob like tendencies like showed up really early and like i remember having like i kept a notebook of like all the shows i wanted to watch and like what time they come out and what channel Mm -hmm. um and i would like read magazines of like weird like the best new like animated kids shows that were coming out and so i like watched everything and it'd be like you're like reading trade papers i literally was like (laughs) those rock because they would have like disney or nickelodeon magazines or whatever and i remember i had one from like 96 or something and it had like a who's hot and who's not box on the corner yeah on in of one page and like all the people in the who's hot list i was like who the fuck are these people <laughs> how do you know who that is are they real people or is it like who's hot ginger no, no who's they're not? real people Invader but Zim. pepper ann <laughs> <laughs> yeah that dumb bitch <laughs> yeah whoever disney was promoting that month i guess right right yeah yeah but like like that do you remember that show bump in the night that was like canadian claymation of like little monsters that were under the bed no like nobody, oh, yeah we got all kinds of canadian cast-offs back then yeah. nobody really heard that show because it aired at like a weird time on a weird channel but i had like that written down i like watched that <laughs> i was like this is crazy what? um it was a great show. Um, the last, uh, the last gasp of claymation, I guess. Yeah, Saturday morning claymation, and it was like, if I recall, like really good claymation, like lots of really inventive stuff. Um, really great show, but yeah, wow. I, I'd like to go watch because I remember very specifically some of the really interesting animation stuff that Rugrats was doing at the time. I'd like yeah. to go back and revisit that. 
And like old animation is just so nice to watch because it's like, even when it wasn't good, it's still really nice <laughs> to just watch like something with like a good frame rate and like actually like putting transitions between images and stuff to like make stuff move good and whatever. Yeah, yeah. there's just there's something comf- cozy about the Simpsons color palette for whatever mm-hmm. reason. On the- yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but talking of the going back and watching old stuff, a lot of the Nickelodeon's original programming block for the most part was just like buying a bunch of shit from Canada while they, because they didn't have anything yet. Like the, oh, yeah. their right. cartoons weren't done yet. Um, and I remember, are you afraid of the dark was one of those. And I watched one of those recently ish. And if you go back and watch them, like almost every single one of the kids has like hockey sticks in their closet. Like it's a dead <laughs> yeah, giveaway. Yeah, yeah. It could not have been more obvious. They talk it's like just that like too. A- <laughs> and there's one. Yeah. And there's also one where it's like, uh, there's like a kid wanders into a fun house in a, in a carnival and there's like a, a clown who the, the legend says uh, he smells like cigars or he loves cigars. And this kid being the, the darn prankster that he is steals the clown's nose and is haunted by the, by the clown uh, in other ways through cigar smoke being like permeating his house. <laughs> right. And um, so at the end of the episode to resolve this conflict, he brings the, uh, he brings the clown's nose back. And then as a peace offering, he's like, here, I brought your favorite cigars. And I'm like, <laughs> this kid's like 15 years old. He's like, where'd you get an entire box of fucking Cubans from? <laughs> It's like a you know another sign of the times, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You could just walk it's into so any fun. gas station and buy a bunch of yes here cigars. in Canada where there's no law. <laughs> yeah. I'll take three cartons of your finest Monte Carlos, please, <laughs> and a milkshake. Uh, so what I watched this week, uh, I guess, getting closer to the subject of what we actually watched all together. Um, Ooh. I watched a serious movie um, called The Mauritanian, um, okay. which is came out this year, um, directed by a guy whose name is Kevin McDonald, but is not the guy from uh, Kids in the Hall. <laughs> okay. he's, he's a documentary filmmaker. He's famous Damn. for making uh, Touching the Void, like that weird uh, documentary about uh, like those mountain climbers who almost died. Uh, he right. like, mostly makes documentaries, um, and he but he also directed The Last King of Scotland. Um, oh hell yeah! So this movie is about uh, Jodie Foster being a lawyer, and um, a the ca- what? the case of um, Muhammadu. I can't remember how to pronounce his last name. <laughs> Some guy who was suspected or accused of. Um, orchestrating the 9-11 case but had never any charges brought against him oh yeah yeah, yeah. and he was okay. in um guantanamo bay for 14 years i think i think um, jody foster won damn. a golden globe for this if i'm not mistaken oh really that's cool she did a great job i mean she won she won one for something because i remember seeing her in pajamas with her beautiful lesbian wife ah uh, yes 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 <laughs> uh <laughs> she was great in this um, the movie is, uh, so I was watching it basically because I'm a real sucker for this kind of stuff. I really like a good courtroom drama and like law yeah. stuff and like people pouring through discovery and like, uh, 
this sort of twisty, turny stuff. I like it. Just it's, a, it's my favorite kind a of guilty, stuff. A nice little guilty, how how dare you, sir, have you no decency exactly. every once and in a I while. Love just it. as a... As a <laughs> Just to let loose every now Just and then. as a treat, yeah. <laughs> but I had a suspicion that this movie would be very, like, both sidesy. You know what I mean? Uh, it isn't. <laughs> it is very America is evil. Um, okay, good. And I th- okay, nice. And I think, <laughs> uh, I, think that cool. I was right. pretty surprised by that, that there's really no pulling punches. You've got Benedict Cumberpatch playing a southern jolly guy who's uh the military oh, how lawyer. does he do i've never seen him do like another accent uh it's weird it's really weird because of how he looks <laughs> mm. and he looks so british uh he looks like a <laughs> british alien you know so right, it's really yes. weird but he i mean it works well, we got some of those down there too yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> just depends British where you mermaids. go. They usually don't end up in law school. Well, no, actually, that's usually where they end up. Now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I think he did a pretty good job, but he didn't really didn't have that much to work with. He's sort of like a raw, raw. So one of the weird things about this movie is that it takes place in there's it's all it's constantly flashing between 2002 and 2006, um, because 2002 it's like Mamadou's whole life. Right. Uh, where he's like, you know, grows up with his like dad who's a camel herder and then like, you know, his family in uh, Mauritania and um, and then him getting, you know, extra, what do you call it? Uh, extra judicially renditioned or whatever. Right. right. A- um, extraordinary renditioned. And then so his whole story of like going into Guantanamo and then in 2006 when Jodie Foster's the lawyer gets involved. Um, but what's so weird is that there's all of this like backlash against her even taking the case. Right. Of and course, it feels yeah. like such a time capsule because like uh-huh. there's people like chanting outside of like the, the, the government Ugh. like court being like, uh, remember nine <laughs> 11, you know, <laughs> and like pushing the lawyers down for even like, like yeah, people love to do them. that sort of shit. <laughs> I, <laughs> people I, love I, to, to hold it against you that you, offer criminal defense to somebody (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't think i can handle being re-exposed to anything from like 2002 to 2006 (laughs) even in like a fictional context like i prefer to just kind of pretend like have those be one giant gap just like (laughs) oh yeah just that those that everything about that chunk of time just in general just kind of sucked ass yeah well it's just blank white (laughs) just nothing feels like trumpy stuff but like Mm -hmm. they're like just seen as normal you know what i mean right and like well of course this is gonna happen they're americans and it's like you know the same it's always been in the dna of the culture did it feel intentional did it feel like they were trying to do this in a way where they're like doesn't it remind you of somebody no 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 it felt (laughs) it felt so as a matter of fact the my biggest criticism with the movie is that it was so bush era that it Mm -hmm. almost felt quaint and like we've seen this imagery so much that it was a little difficult like there's because in the story nobody knows including the military lawyer benedict cumberpatch that they tortured people at guantanamo so there's like the like near the ending last act of the movie is both jodie foster and benedict cumberpatch realizing that there's they've been like his confession was you know gotten from torture and there's this like 
fucking David Lynchian, really insane, like torture sequence. Right. Um, which is at once very affecting and absurd and like hard to watch. And then in certain shots, almost laughable. Cause it's like, you've <laughs> seen it too many times. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's, you've seen memes of like the, the people with the head, you know, it's, it's yeah, so they're hard. doing like um It's hard to be like they, is it Oh more my like, god, um, they tortured people at Guantanamo. <laughs> right, <What>? yeah. <laughs> but does it feel more the like um reveal is uh <laughs> Yeah, like, plot oh, twist. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the but first d- time I've ever heard this. <laughs> does it feel more like um uh like Zero Dark Thirty? Or does it feel more like um no, like it's, Three Kings or something like that? It's not it's not it's not really like anything I've ever seen before. Like while they're torturing him because they tried to capture they tried to capture what it would have felt like to be tortured so there's right. like flashbacks to like a single camera with like a spotlight on it following him around his house in Germany like he's mm-hmm. transported to like different places throughout his life and like the lies they've told about him he's like experiencing as a prisoner it's really right. surreal and strange um, interesting and it's really cool so what- like I think it actually works, but like there's just a couple parts where I was like, this is a little over the top and like almost (laughs) disrespectful. But then it's like, maybe this is just how it was. I don't, it's pretty, it was really weird. And it, I think the thing I was sort of on the fence about the whole movie until the military guy turns, Mm -hmm. he like realizes that there was torture and he drops out of the case because he's like, this is fucking insane. And I think what's important about it is that it really understands that no really one person in power like is doing it on purpose. It's like mm-hmm. all of these like little tyrants just being like, I was, I have my orders and I have my orders. Right. Exactly. Um, and like these dumb asses who are just like censoring a bunch of shit because they were told to censor a bunch of shit. Right. Um, or like, because it happened to them once or because like, you know, they believe that like their part of this role is so important. Like there's all these like little negotiations that are constantly happening that themselves, you know, it's like people call it the machine for a reason, yes. right? Machines are made up of little parts, and it, you know, and it, every little part keeps doing the thing the little part's supposed to do, then the machine works. Right. And I so was, the way you describe the torture sequence, what I'm picturing is sort of like um, like the actual Guantanamo photos um, sort of like swirling around on top of like a Twilight Zone <laughs> spirally backdrop and you can just hear echoes of like newscasts and it's like, you know, sort of echoey spacey music and then like over the Cuckoo top of that you hear reason. echoing, you know, just off in the distance you can hear like, uh, let me be clear uh, we tortured some folks <laughs> and it just kind of spirals down into the center. Yeah, basically no. <laughs> More uh, or less. No, it's all like strobe lights and people wearing masks and like metal music and what they really did but like on the screen um it's pretty cool and so uh the very end of the movie um there's really no spoilers because it's been a story his his book has been (laughs) guantanamo diaries has been published in every language um his actual book and it came out censored in america like black lines through it um because still to this day, some of the shit he said like is uh, is classified technically, um, <laughs> and uh, the very end of the movie, he like they they have a TV where he's doing um, uh, a testimony to the judge of just like why he should be released or whatever, and it's right. It's honestly one of like the best courtroom drama scenes I've ever seen. Like the guy who plays this guy is incredible, and then what's great about it is. 
there's like the celebration at, and then a hard cut to black. And then it's like, then he spent seven more years in Guantanamo Bay. Ooh. And then it cuts Ugh. to the real guy and like a whole right. like 10, 15 minute documentary scene of his real life. And now we're at what he's doing now. So it's like, it's this real bittersweet ending that is, uh, I thought it was really d- done well. I was, I was yeah, very surprised. That's really. <laughs> it's heavy and it's intense, but I thought it was yeah. really emotionally. It's usually the poignant. kind of thing that you would like shave off. It's like a little corner of the story that you shave off to give yourself a nice ending for your movie. Exactly. It's nice to see them be like, no, actually, he was there seven more years after this story and finishes. And it's fucking insane, and you should be angry. And it was. Yeah. I thought it was well done. Yeah. So they're going to do the sequel where they tell all that part, or what? Or it, <laughs> yeah, so I like, mean, it seemed like it because there was so all if this. If you're going like, to end on a cliffhanger like that, come on. <laughs> There was all this real footage of the real Muhammadu uh, Slahi, uh, and you know, looking at his books and listening to Bob Dylan and stuff. So it was like, you know, kind of a good ending. I feel like they could have made a documentary about what he's been doing since. Yeah, they probably have. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> so that's has. a sequel. Let's get into the movie we watched this week, which was Alfred Hitchcock's Notorious. From 1946, starring That's Cary right. Grant and Ing, uh, what is her name? I always want to say Ingmar Bergman. Not, yes, Ingrid Bergman. Ingrid, Ingrid Bergman. Yes, unrelated uh, as no, it were. No relation. <laughs> um, but yeah, we we did forget to say anything about this last week on the show. But we are doing a month of Hitchcock movies mm-hmm. uh, this month, and um, I don't know. Hitchcock maybe boy. if we like it, then we'll do it again. If we don't like it, then we won't. <laughs> you mean <laughs> not like, for Hitchcock for for one filmmaker? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll we get tired of this. him. Yeah, right. By the end of this, we're just like, yo, enough with the cameos. <laughs> <laughs> we get it. We get it. You got a funny stomach. You're good at suspense. Whatever. Ooh. <laughs> oh, I'm shaking. I wonder if the scene's ever gonna end. It does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we watched notorious this week so we talked about doing uh a, a whole one director month and so this is our first attempt at it uh and i when we when we were going through picking which movies we we're going to watch i was tempted to do my favorite hitchcock movies mm-hmm. like just ones i grew up with and the ones i liked but i i used this one i used my picks to watch movies i'd never seen Okay. So I haven't, I hadn't seen Notorious until I also had not seen Notorious. Um, I'd seen it back in a film class in like 2011, 2012, something like that. So Mm. I basically didn't remember it all until the very end. And I was just like, oh, yeah, that's this movie. (laughs) You mean the the ending sort of? Yes. uh, Walk out the door. Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I hadn't seen this one. and I figured that we'd be bringing up the things that we have seen, like Rear Window and and Psycho and uh, whatever we didn't pick anyway. So I wanted to watch ones that I were, were generally considered to be some of his best that I hadn't seen. Right. So do we should we recap Notorious real quick? Yeah. Okay. Notorious is a story about a woman who is the daughter of a Nazi guy who is uh, captured and kill uh, he kills himself in his cell um she is being watched and recruited by an 
Secret Service OSS agent. It's not clear what yeah. agency he works some for. Some sort of yeah, some sort yeah, of yeah. government He's, black suit guy. He's a spook, but he also uh, doesn't. Um, the CIA doesn't exist yet, so he's not that. Um, but <laughs> probably will become a CIA agent in a couple yeah, of years. Yeah, if he survives, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, although he is going against what the CIA is doing at this time <laughs> in this movie, so maybe not. Um, right. But he is trying to recruit her to get her to sleep with a guy who's in Brazil who is in the sort of like ex or like nazis who've been rat lined to brazil by alan dulles it's not mentioned in the movie but (laughs) they are (laughs) rat lined to brazil and trying to do something there so they are trying to investigate him and it was his it was her father's friend right um and he always had a crush on her which is already creepy and the (laughs) the agency that he works for wants her to sort of seduce him uh to get information from yes so she's like no i don't want to fucking be your like sexual slave or whatever it's fucking weird also they fall in love and uh i guess they they fall in love (laughs) in between the recruitment and the beginning of the mission they fall in love with each other and then the mission essentially is, yeah, it's like a honeypot sort of thing where it's like you're going to you're going to seduce him. He's going to fall in love with you. You're going to like spy on him and like get us info and whatever. Right. Uh, so she on whatever it is, the fuck that they're doing down here. Right. Which they don't know. They think something they don't really is know up. what's going on. They just know something's happening because there's a lot of Nazis all in the same place. Right. And so there like, must be something. <laughs> she does it really well. She gets a marriage proposal. She yeah. she, you know, is in, in his good graces. Uh, Cary Grant is very mad about this because uh, he loves her. Um, right. And she's like, what the fuck? And so uh, he's like, prove to me that you're not with um, Dev, the CIA guy or OSS guy. And uh, and she's like, uh, marry me. And she's like, okay, I guess I'm going to marry them. Do you think I should do that? And he's like, sure, whatever. I don't sure, give a Sure, do whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> fuck you, bitch. And then... <laughs> and then uh, Marry the Nazis. See if I can. Yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> she does marry him, and then at a dinner party that they sort of figure out how to do, they find out that they've been keeping uranium or plutonium. Yeah, uranium, uranium, or, uranium. I guess for weapons. Yeah, like for, weapons. Presumably for weapons. Yeah, I don't know what else they'd be scared of them doing with it. In the wine bottles in his wine cellar. Yeah. Uh, they almost get caught, and to cover up what they were doing, they pretend that they were making out, even though they were making out as well. And uh, then, <laughs> and then uh, he's like, "How dare you!" Uh, but he doesn't. Basically, he figures it out a little bit later. Him and his Nazi mom are like, "Well, we better kill." Yeah, they her. figure out that that she knows about the uranium. Everybody knows what everybody knows at this point in the movie, and so they're like, "But what do we do if I if I do something too noticeable? Then my Nazi friends are going to know that she knows, and then I'm going to be in fucking trouble yes. because we see somebody else die earlier for a similar sort of situation. Uh, so they start poisoning her slowly. Uh, she is dying for real. And uh, Cary Grant kind of figures out that something must be wrong and uh, goes and rescues her. They're leaving the house and uh, the guy's like, well, fucking what are you going to do about it? You can't just walk out of here. He's like, well, 
we're going to do it. So, uh, you know, either tell your Nazi friends that you fucking let this broad know about the uranium or, or you know, let us go. That you're dumb, that because of your love, that you, yeah. you were so weak-willed because they already killed his friend for doing something stupid like this, uh, that you're, they were so in love that you told your CIA or your, your secret agent wife all of the things yeah. and they'll kill you or you just say she's sick and you let us leave. And right. so he has to swallow his pride and the Nazi guy has to swallow his pride and let them go because even though yeah. he really does love her because he doesn't want to get fucking murdered. Um, right. And in the last scene, he's like putting her in the car with, with Cary Grant. And he's like, he's like, come on, let me go with you. Come, They're going to fucking kill me. You got to let me go to the hospital. And Cary Grant's like, not my circus, not my monkeys. <laughs> Later, he yeah. drives off. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's it's the a- last shot. It's a bit of a confusing plot because it's like, okay, so you've got this OSS guy slash proto-CIA guy uh, in Brazil, uh, and he finds a Nazi guy with uranium, (laughs) and he's going to let him die? I don't understand. Like, shouldn't he have had, like, a... Shouldn't he have been going with, like, a job offer or something? Like, okay, you guys are coming... (laughs) Hey, what's up? I'm the CIA yeah, guy. Yeah, we what love do, you your ability need? to hoard uranium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever considered going pro? <laughs> we love. Yeah, we're big admirers of your work up there in the states, and yeah. uh, just wanted to let you know that uh, any anything we can do to help you, just uh, give us a call. Oh, Uncle Sam, anything for you. Why don't we let bygones be bygones, fella? It's been it's been we've all had a rough few years. Yeah, uh, I feel like a lot of this kind of relies on. Um, your cultural context within yeah. <laughs> like this time period of like immediate post-war yes. and early war cold war just also ended. very much a time capsule <laughs> yeah. 100% but, but like certain things that like they don't spend too much time on because they assume that you just intuit what this means like when they find the uranium ore and you're supposed to be like oh no we're <laughs> supposed to be the only ones who have the atom bomb you know and like when they're like there's Nazis oh, yeah. in Brazil they don't really explain why there's Nazis in Brazil you're supposed to just know like oh they all fled so they didn't get you know a war crime tribunal and whatever yeah yeah well that was that was so interesting cuz i didn't feel like you know i'm coming at it from what i know about that time period which i think is quite a bit and then comparing that to what people know about it now i was like did right. people know <laughs> that the nazis just went to brazil and we were just like they thought that the intelligence agencies were just like we gotta catch them <laughs> like yeah. why do they think they, they got kn- there <laughs> yeah maybe they knew maybe they knew they were there but thought we were like doing something about it back then or something right. yeah yeah well we're the cleanup crew it's the you know it's the the star wars sequel trilogy of of <laughs> wartime history i suppose yeah exactly it's very strange um but i get it there is a certain like level of understanding because hitchcock is british right He's a yes. British dude. Yeah. He's an Englishman. An Englishman. Um, and he, uh, so he, you know, probably was just like, surely the Americans, having fought against the Nazis, are fighting them in Brazil. I know they're down there. You know, like, I don't right, know what the yeah. propaganda actually was, but it is an interesting <laughs> time capsule to, like, see, you know, what just a random filmmaker was like. Hmm, spy stuff. Um, right. And it's the stuff that like a, a random filmmaker could know that an audience would get just on intuition. You know what I mean? Like, like the yeah, fact yeah. that like all this stuff was like so top of mind for people that like, 
you don't need to talk about it too much. You just get like Nazis in Brazil, uranium in the wine bottles, like all this stuff makes sense to me. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was reading up on some just casually drunk driving. This makes sense to me. (laughs) Yeah, I was reading some the some of the behind the scenes trivia after I watched it. And they said it was like the the producer, I guess it was David Selznick. He he was like, "Uh, now, listen, the the, the, we we just dropped the atom bomb. The first the first picture we can put out with the atom bomb is going to do the best. And this this Cary Grant fellow is not going to be available to other three months. We've got to pick somebody (laughs) else like, you know. It was very much, uh, it was ti- purposefully timely, as in, uh, you know, the first A-bomb yeah. movie is going to be the, going to do the best of the box office. We need to pull out all the stops. That's true. But also, one thing I was also reading is that there was a sense that people were surprised that this movie did so well and even got made because of how callous the, the agents of America are. And like, mm-hmm. they're sort of <laughs> just like that hadn't really been seen on film before that like they were just like uh oh she could get killed who gives a shit we have work to do you know <laughs> yeah uh, like every single line folks at home if you have not seen this movie every single line that Cary Grant has in this movie is some variation on frankly my dear I don't give a damn yeah like every <laughs> single thing he says is just like whatever I don't care <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like the last second of the movie where he's like, actually, I'm just kidding. I actually did love you quite a bit. Right. That's the thing about this movie that I was, you know, okay. so I picked this movie because I knew there would be a lot to talk about about the CIA and the like post-war. That's very (laughs) interesting to me. And also because people had said it's one of the best movies and like it's a really interesting love triangle. I could not care less about their relationship not at all so abusive like it's Mm -hmm. so fucking like horrific that he's just like a cop and she's like ew you're a cop (laughs) and he's like i want you to fuck another guy for me i'm mad at you and you're a (laughs) slut for doing it like it's like what (laughs) is happening in this movie and Um, it's like from the jump too it's even before like the mission begins he's already just like you're a slut you were a slut in the past i don't like you uh, yeah, I, I don't think I could ever marry a dame like you. Yeah, uh, my so wife was like, "It's got to be some really stellar writing to make me sick of looking at Cary Grant." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like make him a fuck cop. off, man. I was also, also his uh, his agency handler. Uh, if there's any Marx Brothers fans out here, might recognize Ooh. him as uh, from Duck Soup. He's the guy who uh, hires yes. uh, um, Chico and Harpo as spies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and one of my all-time favorite scenes where it's the two of them in his office and they like snip his coattails and snip his cigar in half and oh, all that kind right. of stuff. So excellent straight man as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's awful to her. Um, and they're like inexplicably in love. It's just because like for the plot, you know, like it's just mm-hmm. like she he lets her drunk. Dr- oh, yeah. With the yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Is like, like it, it does feel like it's really rushed as part of the problem too, right? Is because it's like the beginning of it is like the drunk driving scene where they just go off for a lovely drunk drive and like nobody is yeah. doing anything. She's like expecting yeah, a ticket when she gets pulled over by the cop. She's like, oh, he's gonna write me a ticket for blacked out driving. <laughs> yeah, for fucking being wasted, like absurdly <laughs> wasted, and sh- and she's just like going eighty miles per hour on the highway. Uh, yeah, and then gets pulled over, and like the guys, uh, Cary Grant just hands him like his badge, and he's like, "Oh, 
oh, I guess you're allowed to break the law. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> um, but also the following scene, this movie is in black and white, by the way. The following scene is one of the best hangover scenes I've ever seen. Like, mm, it's yes. shot so well. So you first see Cary Grant in complete Dutch, like a perfect Dutch. It's also shot in 4-3. Um, mm-hmm. Like, so you see him like completely tilted and then like as he walks around the bed the camera like rolls like a like a jet you know and like he's like upside down (laughs) half the time because she's it's from her perspective so she's like lying on the bed hanging upside down and he puts like a little little, like orange juice or something and like she like drinks it and that shot is just insanely shot i loved that part yeah, Hitchcock's definitely up to his old tricks in this one. If you, if, if anyone out there hasn't seen this one, he's he's definitely pulling out all the stops when it comes to his camera, his camera tricks. Because we've also got the uh, the scene, the the poisoning scene later on, mm-hmm. oh, which yeah. was also oh, similar. Wow. I loved that all, part. All over the place, kind of caliber. Yes, yes. that scene rocks. She like she takes a sip of the uh, tea, or I can't remember what it's supposed to be. Um, but then basically the butler almost drinks her tea and both the mom and Claude Rains, who plays the the Nazi guy, she's, uh, what's his name? Alex something. Sure, uh, I don't remember. Yeah. Alex Alexis. Alexi. Uh, but the butler almost picks up her drink and they're both like, oh, but don't, <laughs> don't, that's the, that's her drink. And, and she's like, oh, fuck, they're poisoning me. And then there's right. like a, I don't know if it's a dolly zoom, but like a really weird zoom on her face. And then like the lighting and, and focus of the mom and Alex like goes like stark black and white and like they're in right. contrast and then like flips. It's, it's yeah. absurd looking. I don't know how you do something <laughs> like that. <laughs> it looks fantastic. Um, it's one of those shots like, um, like in um, Night of the Hunter, we talked yeah. about this, mm-hmm. the, um, well, I mean, well, there's the great scene of him up in the in the top floor room, but also I was thinking of when she's in the car at the bottom of the lake, and you're just like, I don't know how you did this. I have absolutely <laughs> no idea how you got that done. <laughs> right, or the scene where she's um, she or when he's like coming up the stairs, chasing the children up the basement stairs, and then it's like a whole like Wes Anderson style cutaway of the, right, of yeah, the yeah. basement into the house. Insane. What is happening? <laughs> How do What's they do happening? that? <laughs> uh, yeah, so there's a bunch of cool, well, you know, I would say three cool, like, Hitchcocky scenes like that, where, mm. like, that, you know, there's a lot of nice flair throughout the movie, but, like, I'd say the, the hangover scene, the scene where they're in the wine cellar and when she gets poisoned are, like, the most, like, trick camera stuff. Um, I felt like the wine cellar scene and the very ending scene were really the only like suspense because they're always talking about this movie like, oh, it's so suspenseful. And it's like, you know, you don't want them to get caught in the wine cellar and, you know, you're not sure what's going to happen in the walking out the door sequence at the end. But besides that it's sort of like intrigue and like, you know, little moving pieces, which I did enjoy, but like, I wasn't, it wasn't like on like North by Northwest level or like psycho level 
Well, um, I was going to say, like, in terms of suspense, like, even the, the wine cellar scene you can tell is supposed to be suspenseful, but I kind of thought it was, like, too quick. It, like, didn't really, like, yeah. take its time very much. It didn't, like, check in on the butler coming down anymore. Like, we didn't really get enough, like, details for me to be like, are they going to get caught? You know, it kind of like, uh-huh. it just was like they were doing it and then they were like, oh, it's uranium, shit. Oh, fuck. Get this, <laughs> scoop that up in the envelope and then we're out of here. And then they're already in another room by the time the butler comes in. They're like, make out, quick. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of felt like they had other options at that point. Yeah, yeah. I, do, I did kind of get the impression that maybe he was more interested in doing the, the intrigue parts because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm a big sucker for any kind of that espionage, espionage type stuff, and even I was kind of like, okay, even I'm starting to lose track of all these details of who who works for who and who has known all of these people for the last couple of decades or something like that, and it's almost like he had a set runtime and just couldn't lay off from giving off some more details about right. IG Farben or something, you know? Yeah. There, I it's like he's, say, he's he's full on on the spy movie stuff, so maybe that's why he was like, oh, well, okay, we'll go ahead and they're already in love. Whatever, one scene will do it. That's it's, it's a diner. What what more do you people want? Yeah, I'm trying. Yeah. To, I'm trying to figure out it. how to do this split diopter. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, who cares about this? Uh, yeah, and also there was somebody. There was one actor who was also one of the Nazis' friends. I think Eric Eric Mathis, uh, mm-hmm. one of the conspirators. Um, one of the Nazi guys uh, who looked so much like Claude Rains in every scene he was in. I thought we were looking at Alex. Um, yeah. And I just, this is a big problem in Sebastian. black and white. Generally, I find <laughs> Claude Rains. I couldn't help but think he looks exactly like what's the name of that guy that was in a lot of movies in the eighties where he also played sort of weird, creepy Nazi dudes with white hair. Like he was the neighbor in the burbs. You know who I'm talking about? No. Um, He's like white hair, kind of southern voice, but he looks very similar to, uh, to or he, similar enough to Claude Rains that I kept thinking about him every time he came <laughs> on screen. What's the fuck is that guy's name? Uh, I'm trying to Bruce find him Dern? right now. Uh, no, 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 no. He's the. All these thumbnails are so tiny on this <laughs> monitor. Mm. Please continue. Don't let me. I forgot. Don't let me slow you down. I was gonna say in terms of. Um, uh, criticisms of the movie i think that like acting is kind of whack in this i mean i get like it's a different time and acting is a different thing at this point this is like old hollywood whatever like you know people didn't really sure uh, like acting really hadn't kind of come into its own in that way but like there's some like really like bread and butter acting stuff that i kind of kept noticing in this like for example at the very beginning there's some scene like i think it's the opening scene and somebody like cuts Cary grant off Right, Cary Grant's saying something, and then somebody cuts him off, and he stops before they cut him off. And the guy cuts him like there's like a blank space between him talking and like the guy cutting him off. And it's like the kind of shit that like you learn in like your first day of an acting class. <laughs> like where they're high like school, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Keep improvising. Like when somebody cuts you off, just go ahead and keep talking. It doesn't really matter what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's I think the reason for that is like in another movie. I've seen Cary Grant in other movies and like that style of like theater, like mm-hmm. what did you mean you and like you're going to stop and then the other person is going to do their line like on cue, you know, yeah. but what the problem is, is that Ingrid Bergman 
is so fucking naturalistic in this movie and like mm-hmm. just seems like a way better actor than everyone else because she <laughs> feels like a real person. Right. And she has like all of this like nuance to her emotions. Um, and Claude Rains and Cary Grant are just like sort of stuffily saying their lines. And like also, I don't know, Cary Grant doesn't really pull off the whole like callous dude very yeah, well. Yeah, he just kind of like, seems... <laughs> he seems like a bitch. There's something else going on. Like, yeah. <laughs> it kind of seems like he might be, like, gay or something, and he's just, like, not actually interested, and he's just like, I'm just doing this for the job. Like, I, it doesn't, like... He's, he's not, not, like, scaring enough. me or anything. Like, It's like Tom Cruise playing a mob boss or something. It's like, you, right. can, you can hit all the cues, but I'm just not buying you being quite as mean and ruthless enough. Right. Yeah, exactly. Also, Henry Gibson was the actor I was thinking of. There we go. Henry <laughs> I Gibson. I don't. Yeah, absolutely. Remember. I know this guy. Yes. Oh, that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, he's in Nashville. He ke- yeah, he keeps. He kept. He kept making me. I kept thinking of him every time I saw Claude Rains on the screen for whatever reason. Absolutely, they're, they're I sort, can see He's it. like an impish, more impish version of Claude Rains. They both look like they're up to something, and also Nazis, possibly. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> He does, unfortunately, have a very Nazi face. Yeah. He's Mr. Wormwood in uh, Inner Space. <laughs> if you've ever seen that movie, that movie is awesome. Um, but yeah, I, I thought, um, I think you're right. The acting is a little shaky, um, especially with Cary Grant. Um, but I think Ingrid Bergman did a great job. Um, yeah, I think she was great. Yes, she absolutely outshowed out outshined everybody else in this movie by a long ways i thought and it's interesting because this isn't i kind of assumed that this was i'm not entirely like his alfred hitchcock's filmography isn't like in my head as much as some other because he's made like a hundred movies or whatever yeah um i assumed this was sort of one of the early ones um, no, this is like really mid, like mid career. It seems it like. was like his one of his early American ones, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people know Hitchcock for the last leg of his career, which is like Rear Window, Catch a Thief, Man in Neutral. Yeah, I was gonna say, which is in fairness nothing but bangers. It's all <laughs> like great. He, really, yeah, yeah. he just goes on a real hitting streak for a little while like there, from the middle of the fifties to the middle of the sixties. It's just like he just hit a stride. Um, but this was the, you know, the middle of the forties. Um, so, you know, yeah, this seems he was like just it's getting started, but he had also already done like 20. Well, God, I, I'm looking at his filmography now and it's, it's hard ridiculous to even... <laughs> how many fucking movies he made. No, it's like, it, it feels like it's, uh, it's similar to how people talk about, um, like Annie Hall, how it's kind sure. of like, it's a long career that you have for, um, for Woody Allen at that point, he's already been making movies for like a decade by then. And then this is the first one that people are like, but you can pay, start paying attention now. Like this is when you kind of tune in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But most people are like, don't worry about, you know, downhill or whatever, <laughs> right, <laughs> like all the yeah. silent movies or whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, but it's an interesting one because I do think it stands out as like, it, whenever I think about Hitchcock, I, I it's always hard to think about this in terms of like whatever was popular. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's not necessarily 
the best movies that people watch, but generally the ones that were like hugely impactful at the time that people right. really or at least had the most marketing money spent on them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's so it's like always hard to go through someone who has such a disc of uh, such a filmography and like be like, Oh, this one's the important ones. Uh, or this was like the, where he did really interesting stuff. Um, because everyone's got their different opinions. And then there was also all the influence of like a hundred years of, you know, people being like, this one's my favorite just because it was the big cultural thing. Oh, at the yeah, time. yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I thought this one was pretty good. I, I would yeah. definitely, in, I definitely enjoyed the movie. Um, yeah. But it didn't, like, besides, like, the really clever camera stuff, like we were talking about early, earlier, like, story-wise, it felt pretty, like, paint-by-numbers, like, intrigue, like, spy stuff. Like, yeah. It's it definitely didn't like I don't know it, it like it it's good I feel like yeah, I'd, it's good. I'd, I feel like if it was like one of five movies of his I'd recommend I wouldn't put this in a like list of Hitchcock movies I would give somebody if they were like I'm trying to get into Hitchcock uh uh-huh. no like, I, I don't, think, I, I don't think I'd put this one in. I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. I think if you're like really big into like if you're into filmmaking and you like want to see like mm. you know his like early experiments with stuff, especially with like druggy stuff, um, this is has some really great stuff in it. Um, yeah, but yeah, as a story, I felt like it doesn't really hold up in terms of historically or like. Uh, culturally like how we understand like what's acceptable like he like literally hits her <laughs> a couple yeah. times yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. i remember yeah the- i remember being uh, whenever we were watching it in that part having just like all right one night one light little slap ought to calm her down yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna sit down for the evening it's just like he's just like a cop just berating and beating a woman until she does what he yeah. says and then he gets mad at her uh, like i felt like that was really hard to get past in a in a like an honest way like i could like be like okay whatever it's time or whatever but i'm not connecting with this movie on a real emotional level so that was a problem and also i just think like even as a mystery story there wasn't really a big turn like there's a lot of hitchcock movies that the first time i watched it i was like oh holy shit that's what happens but this was sort of just like oh okay he's doing nazi stuff and then the surprise is how they get out of it Right, and it's so, like not that big a surprise. No, it's sort of just like a fun setup, and then a fun figuring out. So it's like it's fun, mm-hmm. but it's no North by Northwest. It's nor it's no like um, Vertigo or <laughs> um, yeah, like the the central plot is not particularly complicated. But I found myself uh, getting lost anyway, just because there's several points where we just get buried in exposition about, mm-hmm. you know, like spy exposition and stuff, which is yeah. like, sure. It adds to like, you know, I guess the believability of whatever spy stuff they happen to be doing or supposed to be doing, but it's, it's a lot of key, uh, a lot to keep track of that. It turns out you don't actually have to keep track of very much, which right, yeah. normally I'm a fan of like, you know, quote unquote, unnecessary dialogue, but I don't know <laughs> something about it. I was able, I was able to, lose track of it more often than I think I was supposed to. Uh-huh. Yeah, I felt that that's, I totally agree. There was like so many like little moving parts that ended up not mattering. 
Like the mm. whole scene with the key switching and like trying to get into the wine cellar was so complicated and like involved. But then at the end, it was just like when when I was describing the plot, it was just like they try to get into the cellar and then they do. And it's like, yeah, I guess it doesn't really matter at all. Uh, it's like it's a fun way to have him figure out that she knows, which is, you know, that he yes. notices that the key is gone and then later he notices it's back. Like, that's a good that's a good idea. There's just like nine other pieces of that <laughs> that like I'm not explaining. <laughs> yeah. And it's like it all works visually. It, you know, there's a lot of cool like inserts and he's like mm-hmm. obsessed with like making the inserts look cool and stuff and like introducing those inserts. Filmically, it's it's beautiful. Um, and like I said, if you're interested in filmmaking and that kind of stuff, like definitely watch it. I recommend it. But it's yeah. like compared to his other things and the things we will talk about for the rest of the month i would say it's you know it's a middling to good hitchcock yeah 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 it's all right it's It's okay (laughs) (laughs) it's fine (laughs) uh yeah so i guess so that's that's it that's the show all right thanks for (laughs) listening to our first episode of the hitchcock month uh that was this is we're kicking it off huh you're kicking it off with us yeah thank you for being here tim uh (laughs) would you like to plug anything uh well uh my my twitter is uh at flaming butt wind oh hell yeah um (laughs) you can follow me on there um if you're into stuff that i have said uh, today. <laughs> <laughs> Great. If you want to, that's fine. Yeah, you should. He's a good follow. He should. He's a good follow. <laughs> um, it's fine if you don't either. That's okay too. Won't, I won't take it personally. Cry, or anything. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't check like follower lists or anything like that. It's a foreign concept to me. I don't know what that is. <laughs> like checking your phone. Fo- There's people who like keep track of like when someone unfollows them or something. Oh yeah, that's like, madness. Yeah. How? I, How I do you do that? I don't. Know. I don't I don't, I don't know. know. Who knows? <laughs> but there's those people who just look at your numbers all the time, I guess. Yeah. Psychotic. There's those people who will like post something controversial and then they'll be like, I lost 10 followers over this. LOL. Madness. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. But do follow Tim. Uh, I'm sure you'll post anything you're working on on there. Uh, yes. So, yeah. Thank you so much for being here. It was great to have you. You can follow me at Keenan Matagrafi. You can follow Jeremy at Jeremy Thunder. You can follow the show at Gen Loss Pod. Please go to uh, patreon.com slash generation loss. Um, and you can get a weekly bonus episode. And then you can also make me watch Sopranos, maybe. Uh, <laughs> you can go to our Discord after that, where we show the movie that we're going to be watching the Sunday before the episode comes out. Uh, so we'll see you there. See you next time. Bye. Oh, death, oh, death, please spare me over till another year. What is this that I can't see with icy hands taking hold of me? I'm death, none can excel, I'll open the door to heaven or hell. Could you call some other day? The children prayed, the preacher preached, but time and mercy is out of your reach. Oh, death, oh, death, please spare me over till another year. I'll 
fix your feet so you can't walk. I lock your jaw so you can't talk. I'll close your eyes so you can't see this very eye. Come and go with me. Flesh off of the frame, the earth and worms both have a claim.